Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Everyone, and welcome to episode 432 of the Battery Power Podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on Sunday, December 17th, and I am joined, as I often am, by Scott Coleman. Scott, it's almost Christmas. It's been kind of quiet in Braves land, and it's just sort of a taste of what, I don't know, 25 teams are dealing with right now? Yeah, it's been an interesting offseason, to be sure. Even though the Braves have not necessarily made any like super high impact or national headline-worthy deals, Alex has definitely kept it interesting. With these uh, money-flipping trades, they're pretty fun. I think everyone naturally gets excited when the Braves blue box comes across on Twitter or if you're checking out the site at Battery Power and you see a trade headline, and then you kind of read through it and you go, oh. <laughs> yes. Right? You know, it's it's uh, it's not sexy. Maybe it's not Shohei Otani or, or any of the big-name free agents who are out there. And really, there has not been, other than the Tyler Glass now trade, the, the trade market has been pretty calm so far. But that being said, we still have basically two and a half months to go of offseason. So there's still plenty of time, both for the Braves and other teams to get this thing going. That's right. And, you know, we'll talk about it in a second. I, I, I learned of the Friday night trade with the Padres for Ray Kerr and Matt Carpenter from a Slack message from our, our friend, Sean Coleman. Cause he was like, Hey, I'm gonna do this on the podcast. I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, what deal are we talking about? Um, so it's, it's not like there's anything, you know, breaking crazily, but to your point and something I think that most Braves fans understand, but I think some are impatient and I get, I get why people just want fireworks. I know you've, you've done the bit and I agree with you about how baseball's offseason is just kind of not that interesting. And at least it's not like segmented 
particularly in a great way for like generating fan interest. But the Braves have really not been boring at all. Like they they've made moves on a regular basis in a way. Like I I have friends that cover the team. I'm sure you do too. That have basically had covered nothing so far. <laughs> like there are teams that have done legitimately basically nothing in the last. Oh two yeah, months. And, and the Braves have done too. several things. So yeah, and teams that are trying to win that have done basically nothing, right. which is, you know, you, can you imagine, I mean, we, we've probably done it at some point over the years, but you know, you're into mid December and all your team has done is added like a relief pitcher or a utility guy. Well, and the, and the crazy thing is if there was a team in baseball designed to have that kind of winter, it might be the Braves. Like the Braves have the most guys under contract the Braves have what most believe is the best roster in all of baseball right now, including the Dodgers post Otani. Like the dot, the Braves are kind of a team that could maybe do nothing. And yet they're not, they've been very active and you know, you and I will talk about this, I'm sure later on and we already have, they still probably have a hole that we would like them to fill in the rotation. But you know, of all the teams to kind of stand pat, it would have been most reasonable maybe for the Braves, but uh, they're not doing that. So I, I'm, in, I'm entertained by that. If nothing else. I am very curious, and we won't know this for two plus months, but when it is all said and done, I'm really curious to see how this offseason kind of shapes out and and what other additions are made, because there's a world where the Braves and Anthopolis could have kept it really simple and could have added a couple of relievers. Sure, that you know they add uh, Ronaldo Lopez, they trade for Aaron Bummer, bring back a couple of relievers, but ultimately relievers are just not super high impact guys on their own. Although we, we like all four of them, but you know, the Braves could have made this pretty easy for themselves and just signed Jock Peterson to like a two year, <laughs> $30 million deal and signed a boring middle innings guy, a Lucas Giolito type, someone who's not sexy, but he'll eat innings and is, is better than some of those triple a options they have. And, and then just kind of call it an off season. And that would have been like four or five moves so it has not been boring for the Braves. And yeah, I mean, I know like uh, Red Sox fans, even the Yankees have been, even though they've been linked to things. I mean, there are a lot of big market clubs who so far through a month and a half of the winter have done very, very little. So I, I get it. I, I think everybody wants uh, the roster to be completely locked in by Christmas morning. That would be great. <laughs> but ultimately, I mean, it's just it's just the way baseball off seasons go sometimes. Yeah, you and I are caught between uh, it would be good for us to kind of know what's going on, but also if they're done by now, and they're probably not done by now if I had to guess, then we have to fill from Christmas until spring training without anything to talk about. (laughs) So uh, from a content perspective, it's been a nice little slow drip from Alex so far. So preamble out of the way. Let's talk about some stuff that we've not talked about because you and I have not, not done a podcast for almost two weeks now, despite having done two in a row. Last time we recorded, which was a certainly a fun time. Now that I reflect on that, Scott, that was quite a night two weeks ago from today. Uh, it was quite podcasts. a night when you texted <laughs> me saying, "Hey, we got to record another one." You're I was like, like, "What? Oh my God, what happened?" <laughs> it was the opening night of the winter meetings. I was comfortable on the couch watching Sunday night football or whatever was on, and all of a sudden, it's uh, time to fire up the podcast again. And that was the biggest thing that's happened since then. So that's kind of why, you know, I was traveling last weekend. We we skipped, but certainly the podcast network, we should at least say that now has been very busy. Sean's been doing a great job. Plus Steven and Chris um, filling in, doing lots of, you know, newsers and good context and detail on a daily basis. So please subscribe to this podcast. If you just found this for the first time, first of all, welcome. Second of all, we have a lot of different content from different voices. And Scott and I talk about once a week or so on this podcast network. And we're doing that right now. But as I said, much a second ago, the Rays made a move on Friday night, 
They made a relatively quiet deal, but an interesting one as well with San Diego. That seems like, I don't know about you, it feels to me, I think if you read the tea leaves from the beat guys, et cetera, it feels like the Braves, basically the short version of this is that they took on some money in an attempt to land Ray Kerr. Does that sound like a broad strokes of what this deal was to you? Because it feels like that that way for me. Yes, I think so. And it's pretty apparent. I wish I was on this group chat. It's pretty apparent that there is a group chat going on between the primary Braves beat writers, your Mark Bowman's, your Justin Toscano, your David O'Brien's, because like simultaneously on a couple of these odd salary swaps, they have all at the same time gotten talking points from the front office, I think, as to why they made this deal. (laughs) Okay, so I have to get some context here. So first of all, I am not on this chat with the Braves. I'll be very I'll be very upfront about that. Um, the beat guys are the beat guys on the Braves, but um, I I basically am a beat guy on the Hawks. Not quite. On, I'm not traveling with them all the time, but I am an inner circle beat guy on the Atlanta Hawks. So I have some experience with this kind of thing. And uh, without knowing, like I, I'm not asked Justin or Mark, etc. Scott, I, I could not be more confident. This is this is what's happening. <laughs> um, they are oh, and look yeah. and part of your job, by the way, as a beat guy or girl is that you have to take with a grain of salt what you are told from the front office of the team you are covering. You cannot just assume that what they are saying to you is gospel all the time. That's part of the job. At the same time, stuff like this, like what you're talking about with this whole topic is like Matt Carpenter seems to be probably going to be traded. Um, And this happened before with Max Stassi, um, et cetera. When When that kind of thing is told to you or shared with you from a front office, it's not probably a lie. You know what I mean? They're not trying to misdirect you by saying that the Braves are going to redirect Matt Carpenter. It's not that important. They don't have any reason to lie about this. So like, that's the kind of thing where you could probably take it as face value that the Braves are, if not eager, they're at least looking to flip Matt Carpenter for, to not have him on the roster, et cetera. But like the bigger stuff is more nuanced, but uh, just to, because I, since I had this experience on some level covering a team in the same city, Man, I, I could not be more confident that that's what ha- that's what's happening. I'm not sure if it's Alex, but somebody in that front office is like, "Hey guys, heads up! Don't write your full breakdowns of Matt Carpenter." Basically, <laughs> yeah, that, that's well said. And sure, I mean Matt Carpenter, very well known baseball player. Once upon a time, was one of the better hitters in the National League with the St. Louis Cardinals. He is now 38 years old, but a a name. Right. If you asked a casual baseball fan, do you know who Matt Carpenter is? Many of them would say, oh, yeah, I know. him." If you asked who Ray Kerr, the 29 year old reliever with 32 big league innings under his belt, who Ray Kerr is, I I mean, unless you're a Padres fan or just a full on diehard, I'm guessing you you didn't know. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it was interesting. Nonetheless, um, with these deals, with money swaps and everything like that, it, it makes sense for the front office to at least offer some guidance to uh, maybe shed light on their line of thinking with these deals. They have made, what have, what have they made now? Three or four of these trades taking on money of some kind in order to add a player or two. So it really is an interesting way of going about roster building because we just outlined, I mean, there are, there are easier ways to add a couple of pieces in free agency or even in trades by utilizing prospects instead of taking on salary so it has been, from that perspective, really just an interesting and unconventional way of going about business for the Braves so far. And I think at the end of the day, we'll know how it worked out, right? I mean, I, if, yeah. I think so far, all of the deals have been fine. It makes sense. I would rather 
it's not my money. It's not your money. I would rather take on the cash than give up the few prospects that uh, are of note in the system right now. Um, but overall, just an interesting deal with San Diego. Yeah. And we're talking about it in a second. I actually, I want to ask you something else. And it's kind of what you just discussed. It's more like, I feel like this is, if you are a Braves fan right now, this isn't the easiest thing to digest. I feel like a lot of fans, I'm not, this is not a negative. It's like kind of hard to figure out what they're doing if you don't like know what's going on. But it strikes me as it's pretty encouraging that the Braves are essentially using their spending power. They're not afraid to spend money. And I make the joke, I made the comment all the time that they're kind of printing money right now with the battery and the, t- and the tickets and all that stuff. They, they had so much revenue last year. But yeah, it would be an easier sell to your fans in a lot of ways if you spent that money on a, an expensive player that everybody knows. But these are the kind of moves that you make when you are willing to spend money and not even get the benefit of like the splash. You know what I mean? There's no press conference like that's like going to blow anybody away about, you know, Kellen's a bigger name, but Ray Kerr is not going to inspire any casual fan to do anything. But it's like, for me, as someone like buried in the nuance, it feels like this, it's really encouraging that Alex has the ear of people to cut the check and be like, you know what? It's better if we don't have to trade anybody for this. It's better, like, this is a better use of our resources. And also, it's a way to maximize the fact that we are willing to spend money that you can just kind of add on the margins without messing up your core. It's it's kind of a, it's, it's kind of under the radar. I don't want to say nuance too many times, but it really is kind of a quiet way to wield your resources. And if you're the Braves, you should be willing and able to do that. And Alex, you know, does not have any sort of job security issues. Like Alex is firmly entrenched as one of the top executives in, in all of baseball with a world series in very recent times. He doesn't have to worry about anything. And he's just like, Hey, we have, we have all this money. This is the way that we're going to improve our club. And I kind of don't care if it brings any PR or fireworks. Yeah. I it's well said. And I agree. And I think it's interesting the way they have really targeted off the radar players yeah. this winter. You know, they they are not seeing. I mean, we we are not privy to every text and phone call that, <laughs> I that Alex were. makes. It'd be more fun, right? That, that would makes for some uh, pretty cool inside scoops. But you know, again, no one. I don't want to say no one. Few teams were out there banging on San Diego's door asking about Ray Kerr, the twenty nine year old lefty reliever. Aaron Bummer did not have a good year. I cannot imagine that Chicago was getting flooded with phone calls to trade Aaron Bummer, though he has been good over his career. Jared Kelnick, it's the second time in his young career he's been traded. And clearly the Braves really like what they see with, with Kelnick. They believe they can resurrect or turn around his career a little bit. But again, I can't imagine that Jerry DePoto in Seattle was just getting blown up for for Kelnick deals, right? So we'll see. I mean, this could all go out the window if they do make a deal for one of these higher profile, publicly available players like a Dylan Seas or a Corbin Burns. But so far, they've really been interesting and selective with who they've gone out after. Because as I said a little bit earlier in the podcast, they could have made this a pretty simple winter. They clearly have the money. They could have just made a couple of free agent signings and and called it an offseason. So they are certainly looking for some surplus value with a guy like Kelnick, a guy like Kerr, who we're going to talk about here in a second. Kerr has six years of control and he's very, very cheap. So you're hoping for a diamond in the rough here. And if you can get one of these players to hit who you've kind of bought low on or 
really just bought in exchange for salary relief. That's it's an interesting way of doing business, and and I'm inclined to really like it. Yeah, and we'll talk more about Kelnick as, as sort of a wrap up in a second of that move. But let's talk about Kerr now. He, like you said, he's 29 years old, lefty reliever. The Braves seem to be looking for guys who throw hard. Uh, that's not like a secret, um, but I think after a couple of years where bullpen, they had a lot of guys in the bullpen who were good, but were not like flamethrowers. They've kind of gone in the flamethrower direction, but Kerr has team control. He is cheap. Uh, crucially, the Braves have prioritized guys that have minor league options because they've had a couple situations in the last couple of years where they've been kind of unable to option anyone. And they kind of had to like DFA someone that, that they actually didn't did not want to DFA. And Kerr is um, a guy who has an option. And basically, Big fastball, big talent, not a ton of sample size, but he's left-handed and essentially a, a big arm. I mean, what do you make of him? Because clearly this, again, just bring it full circle, this deal is about getting Ray Kerr, and they paid you know, indirectly a few million dollars to get someone who doesn't cost that himself. But if you believe, as we're sort of inclined to, that Carpenter is kind of just a, a pay to kind of take him on kind of situation, they want Kerr and, you know, Four, four or five million, something like that for Kerr roundabout. That's kind of what you pay for a guy who is your fifth, sixth bullpen guy. That makes some sense. But uh, do you like the profile? Because it's pretty interesting. Yes, I do. And over the past couple of years, we've talked on this pod that the Braves have typically not targeted super high velocity with the bullpen. And Not that there's any guarantee that, yes, you throw hard and, yes, you're going to be successful. Of course not, right? You have to locate, you have to mix, you have to have secondary pitches. But they have gone out of their way to really prioritize high velocity this winter. So Kerr, his fastball averaged 96 last season. Um, It touched 99. He has a a pretty sharp kind of curveball as well. looks like a, a slurve. And then beyond Kerr, you add Ronaldo Lopez, who can sit upper 90s with his fastball. They brought back Pierce Johnson and Joe Jimenez, who sit in the mid-90s with their fastballs. So they are clearly trying to amp up the pitch velocity out of the bullpen, and that's something I am all for. You know, That's something when you compare this team to Philadelphia. I mean, every guy coming out of the Philadelphia bullpen seemingly was throwing 98, and that can be felt if teams are, are susceptible to not hitting high velocity as well as others. I mean, that can be a real weapon. So sure with Kerr, it's, it's, he's a bit of an unknown, very limited. He did impress with the Padres last summer um, in limited work, but there's only so many left-handed people on the planet who can throw a baseball (laughs) 99 miles an hour. And if you're telling me that they can have a chance to add him into the mix along with Minter and Dylan Lee and Tyler Matzik and he also has an option, that being Kerr, he has a minor league option, so there's some flexibility with his deal. So overall, it, it's an intriguing ad. I, I don't know. Maybe he has a great year. Maybe it just doesn't work out. Um, but overall, it's it's. I think it's a worthwhile addition for someone who's going to make very little money the next couple of years. Right. And you know, I, I would never advocate to just blindly put your faith in a front office and say that they're always going to get it right by any means you kind of need to use your brain some on this stuff. But I think that Alex has done a really good job of kind of unearthing these guys that weren't really on the radar. You know, Pierce Johnson's a great example of like, you know, it's kind of like, okay, that makes some sense, but they're, they see traits and they go get the guy and they feel like they invest and rely on their own system to kind of maximize players. Kelnick's kind of the same thing. They're, they're buying the talent versus the production. They're looking below the hood of, 
a player to, and not just like at their ERA or at their, you know, their counting stats, whatever. The Braves have a pretty strong internal confidence, it seems, about what they can unearth with some of these guys. And they're not all going to hit for sure. They're just they're just not. But um, between the velocity and the fact that he's left handed, like you said, and, you know, kind of off the radar, but a way to go ahead and do that without having to go out and pay a multi-year free agent deal for a similar and within their mind, a similar player makes some sense. Yeah, definitely. And from the left side, we know how good AJ Minter is. But after that, I mean that that's pretty much it as far as like locked guarantees. For I love. I, I will say I loved. I love Dylan Lee. I really do. But yeah, you're right. I, you're right. Though. I do too. <laughs> I know. I absolutely do too. And then Tyler Matzik, who can't love the legend himself. Everybody but, loves Matzik, but certainly he is a big question mark coming off of Tommy John. So, yes. Yeah. Tommy John for Matzik. Dylan Lee had shoulder issues, just basically never pitched again after that injury popped up in May of last year. So, yes, those are two very talented relievers. They could both have great years in 2024, but there's also a world where an injury pops up for any of these guys, and you have to have depth. So, if you're telling me from the left side, as of mid December, the Braves have four guys who I think, if they're healthy, you feel really good about. Um, yeah, it's enviable depth to have because you just know at some point one of those guys are going to need a breather. Uh, we mentioned that Kerr has a minor league option, so that's valuable. You can work with him and try to continue developing him and Gwinnett and then bring him up if you ever need it. So going into spring training, you have four guys on the left side that I think you have to feel about as confident as you can be in any kind of reliever. And, uh, you know, that's that's going to be your mix. Then you go with it. And then, of course, if if you need to add somebody at the trade deadline, I think you're just ultimately trying to aim higher than like a Brad Hand who just really was never very effective. And I think all four of those guys have real upside to be genuinely good relievers from the left side. Yep, that's well said. And if you put Lopez in this bullpen, too, and we don't know if he's going to start or in the bullpen. Obviously, they've said that he might start. But if you put him down there, man, they have uh, quite a bullpen on paper. And that's if, if you have, if you have Lopez down there and everybody else is healthy, Ray Kerr might be your seventh reliever, eighth reliever, something like that. Like he's not going to be projected in March to be a top three or four reliever on his team. And they've just went and paid real capital to get him. So uh, it's a, we talked about it a lot. I know, I know Sean has, I know Steven has, Alex is not afraid to invest in the bullpen. <laughs> he, he's just not, he, he loves to have some depth. He loves to spend money on the bullpen and um, the results have been pretty good. I mean, they weren't perfect last year. They had some injuries, but we say it all the time. And it's worth saying again now, relievers are volatile. So if you want to have as many as you can, because inevitably somebody's going to get hurt or someone's going to blow up um, and knock on wood, you don't want it all to happen at once. But there's a reason you might want to have 10 or 11 relievers that you trust, because in the end, you might only have six of them by the time you get to October. Yeah, for sure. And we know how important the bullpen becomes in October. So you try to collect as many talented arms as you possibly can and, and see where you're at six months into the year. That's Um, right. Yeah. And quickly on Matt Carpenter, you know, it seems likely the Braves will flip him, Um, you know, in name value, he is more valuable than, than actually as a player. I think at this point, Yeah, Uh, he, he, he was good with the Yankees for a minute in 2022. He was actually uh, great in 22 uh, for yeah. a little bit of time. But then last year was kind of... Uh, and by the way, Matt Carpenter is my age. That just tells you that, uh, you know, other than, other than Charlie Morton, if you're my age, you're not product great at this point in time. No, that's obviously ages. But uh, the big thing is, honestly, with Carpenter, is that he's essentially a DH 
like he can't really play the field. So yeah, there might be a spot on the Braves bench for a bench bat, but that role is just less important than it's ever been with the DH in place. And he's not good enough to command DH plate appearances. So it's like, would you rather pay him the 4 million or so they got, by the way, he makes five and a half million this year. And the Braves reportedly got about a million and a half in cash. So he's basically making quote unquote $4 million. Part of that was again, to take on Kerr, but it's basically, do you want to have Matt Carpenter take up a roster spot more so than the money at this point? And I'm, I'm not sure you can argue that that bench bat role is worth it when he really can't help you in the field and he really can't help you running. Like he's just a pure bench bat and that's kind of yeah. tough. Well, and offensively, it, you know, we assume that if Marcel is even close to repeating the year that he had last year, he's going to be the DH he's, pretty much every yes. day. If he's, if he's on the team, Ozuna, I mean, they gave Ozuna a month and a half last year of being the worst player in baseball, essentially. And they still were playing him all the time. Uh, and then, of course, he got red hot. And that's that's keep worth right. keeping in mind. But yeah, if the he's on the team, yeah, yeah. If, if Ozuna's on the team in April, he's going to be the DH. I mean, there's and he'll have to play his way out of that if he unless he's traded. So, yeah, and even if him. yeah. And even if something happened to Marcel, an injury, then I would kind of think that Travis Darno or Sean Murphy would probably then be the or the Vaughn DH. Grissom if he's on the team still. Sure. Yeah. That. I mean, if, yeah. if they don't trade Grissom. Uh, they got to put him somewhere, right? Um, maybe it is in a, a DH utility type of role, but um, overall, I I think it's it seems probable. I guess we'll say. Does that sound fair? It's yeah. I mean, give, that, given the given the leaks that we talked about before, and the yeah. fact that just the role doesn't make a lot of sense. You know, it's worth just like like you did earlier running down what he is. But um, and yeah, there's a chance that Matt Carpenter finds it again. He's a really talented hitter, has been for a long time, but you just don't have the play appearances to give him right now and he's kind of a platoon guy too on top of it all so yeah i i just think that given everything that we know it will surprise me if he's on the team um you know i wouldn't i wouldn't say it's a zero percent chance by any means um but given that you know i think they could probably find another comparable player for the league minimum to be honest i mean matt carpenter yeah. is more famous than that guy's gonna be but um yeah i will be surprised if he's around or, or just someone who can do a little bit more than matt carpenter can do yeah, I mean, ideally, look, the guy right now on their team that like has the narrowest role is Forrest Wall. You know, Forrest Wall can't hit, but Forrest Wall can field and he can run. You know what I mean? Like there, there's actually more use for Forrest Wall on this team than there is for Matt Carpenter. And Matt Carpenter is 100 times more famous and more productive and has such a much a much better big league career than Forrest Wall. But Carpenter does exactly one thing and he might not even do that very well anymore. Like it'd be different if Matt Carpenter was a lock to hit, but he didn't hit at all this year. That's the one thing he can do. and He didn't do it. So you just, you just want more versatility. And again, it's, it's, I'm still admittedly, I don't know about you. I'm still kind of adjusting on the fly. I know it's been a few years now to like the reality that the DH is just not going to be gone. Like it's just DH forever. And you just don't need the same kind of bench construction as you used to need. Like, yeah, in, yeah. in the old days, you might want Matt Carpenter as your like Lenny Harris pinch hitter. You know what I mean? Like that kind of guy who just pinch hits all the time. You don't, especially on this roster, who's he going to hit for? Like, right. I mean, that's it's a, it's a good problem, but the Braves are just so loaded that like there's no spot to have him to pitch, pitch hit for. So yeah, long story short, I don't really see it. 
How many pinch hit appearances did the Braves have last season? Oh man, not I. I wish I could like, let up quickly, but it's over, not very yeah. many. Yeah, not I very don't many. think it's yeah over under fifteen, over under twenty. I mean, it could not other than like an injury. It could not have been like for a strategic move. I'm sure there was some Kevin Pillar, Eddie Rosario. Sure, swaps that's that's in there. the one. That's the one spot or you know catchers or whatever. But you know, the vast majority of the time, there is no one in your lineup you are pinch hitting for. Um, yeah. Your worst hitter is Orlando Arcia or whoever's playing left field. And like, you're not going to take that guy out of the game um, very often. So yeah, it's the Braves just above all, again, it's kind of a weird talking point, but if there was a single team in the league that does not need a pure bench bat, it is the Braves. They just don't. Um, yeah. So yeah, long story short, Matt Carpenter, uh, I don't want to wish you goodbye already because he may not be going. Not going as, as, we're, as we're recording, he's still on the team, but um, yeah. given the leak and everything else, I think he's probably not going to be around. Um, with that covered, we could do a little bit of, of a final wrap up on the Jared Kellen trade. I know it's happened two weeks ago, but there was an interesting Ken Rosenthal piece. Um, he kind of spoke to a major league source that was briefed on the finances. That's actually an interesting quote, but because it's sort of on topic when we talked about before, um, Rosenthal essentially reported that the Braves calculus in acquiring Kelnick is that they essentially got him for $15 million. He himself is making peanuts this year and is under control for multiple seasons, which is why, as we talked about on that that podcast two weeks ago, that is why he is so valuable. If it works is that he is so cheap and under control for a long time, but the Braves essentially paid the equivalent of $15 million to go ahead and do that for five years of team control on Jared Koenig, which again, this is kind of a nerdy topic, but um, if he is good, man, that is a bargain basement price to spend in the meantime. And, at the time where the Braves clearly have money to spend. Yes. And as players on the roster, such as Ronald Acuna Jr. And, uh, you know, Ronald, I believe, is getting a pretty healthy raise he's this year. Finally making some more money, yes, but he's still... Uh, by the way, Ronald Ronald is probably a $50 million player oh, right now, easy. if not more. Uh, and he's making uh, a lot less than $50 million. <laughs> so, yeah. yes, that's one. I mean, even Ozzy, we've been talking about this. It's been happening for a long time, but Ozzy is still making just no money. Um, but yeah, by the way, just I, I looked it up. Ronnie, uh, you, you, you care to venture a guess on what Fangraph's dollars projection was for Ronnie last year? What he was worth? Uh, sixty million. Sixty-six point three million dollars. Holy moly! Yeah, and uh, obviously he's the best player in the league, so it's not like a huge surprise. Yeah. But that's a lot. That's a lot of money. But yeah, uh, we we could at some point we'll probably go more down the payroll rabbit hole. I know Stevens has done a little bit um, in recent days, but the Braves, to your point, are in the position where they essentially don't have anybody making more than they should make of the core guys. You know, Riley Morton, Olson, Ozuna is the one guy maybe that's making too much money, but he was really good last year once he, once he found it. They have six guys making uh, eight figure contracts. Yeah, this, this next year, six guys. And it's uh, three of them are superstars, Ronnie, Olsen, and Riley. One of them is Morton on a one-year deal. One of them is Iglesias, who's a great reliever. And then there's Marcel. So, like, there's no bad contracts. Sean Murphy makes $9 million this year before his, before his deal kicks in. Yep. They are still in the position where they are able to be more free with their money because of, you know, Strider makes $1 million this year. $1 million right. for Strider. Uh Ozzy's still making seven million a year, which is just insane. That deal, man, that deal will never stop being absurd. Um, even Arcia, who like I'm not the biggest fan of, two million dollars for a starting shortstop is just like peanuts. So yeah. 
Flexibility. Yeah. Fun fact. <clears throat> Fun fact. I was doing the Aussie Albies season in review right up for the site, which will be up in a couple of days. But uh, this would have been Aussie Albies' free agent year. Can you and believe he would that? Have, he would have gotten a lot of money. Yes. Uh, uh, yeah. I mean, so many words have been said, including by us, about the Ozzy Albies contract. But Ozzy is almost 27 years old. What do you think Ozzy would have gotten as a free agent this winter? Yeah, it was a good um, bit of conversation that we were having. You know, I'm inclined to think he would have gotten 200 million, maybe eight years, 200 million, which would have been yeah, 25 I mean, million a year. I, I was thinking at least 150, but yeah, that it may be more, it may be like that. Cause like, I'm not saying he would be the best free agent available because he wouldn't be. Uh, there are other guys out there, but given his, I mean, guys don't hit free agency at 27 very often either. Like that's, that's pretty young for especially, a established star. Yeah. Player. Especially over the last five, six years. I mean, in some ways the Braves were ahead of the trend, but so many talented position players get extended now. It's pretty rare that they don't actually. Ozzy um, hit 33 homers this year. Ozzy yeah, is five great. five. He yeah. hit 33 homers this year. Oh, I love Ozzy Albies. Anyway, we're off the rails, Scott. But uh yeah, Jared Kelnick. Um yes, back back to Jared Kelnick after that long and winding rabbit hole that I took. The reason, yeah, the reason I think the Braves were so intrigued by Kelnick was really two parts. One, the obvious talent. The sixth overall pick five years ago, consensus top five prospect in the game, very talented, toolsy, all of that. But the other part is how much money he is owed potentially over the next five years. Um, he will make, he's pre-arb, so pre-arbitration for 2024. So he will make virtually no money. I think the, I mean, virtually is funny to say. I mean, he'll make like $600,000 or whatever. Su- sub $1 million this year. Yes. Yeah. Um, but then he, I believe, according to Spotrack, he will be uh, four years of arbitration. So even if Jared Kelnick goes crazy this year, and let's hope he does, he stays healthy, hits 25 homers, steals 20 bases, plays great defense. He's only going to make a couple million dollars in 2025. And just based on arbitration, for those who maybe aren't familiar, you are generally only going to get, <clears throat> even if you have a great year, you know, your salary might double. So if he makes $3 million in 2025, it might go to six in 2026. If he's still great, maybe it goes to 10 or 12 million the following year. So that's my way, way of saying that there is some possibility and potential for a ton of surplus value yep. with this Kelnick trade. And I think as we also really kind of talked ourselves into during that emergency podcast two weeks ago, you haven't given up any kind of prospect capital to acquire him. If he just stinks for the next two years, you move on and you haven't really lost anything big picture. Yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, it is, you could say it's risky in that I, actually, I'm, I'm, this is a point that I'm attributing to you because you wrote it down and you said it earlier, but they, they could have spent $15 million on a safer option for this year. Um, name that player, Jock Peterson, like you said before, whoever it would be. That would have been perhaps safer for this year again. But they're betting that Kelnick will at least be a regular left fielder that's not going to kill them this year. And if they can unlock him, again, that's an if, if they can unlock him, you're looking at the potential. And again, I want to stress potential. This is not likely even, but possible. They might be able to get 60, 80, $100 million of excess value if he becomes not even a star. If if Jerry Koenig becomes a three-win left fielder, which is very 
reasonable. That's not a star. That's a good player starter. If he's that, they, they will they will probably make fifty million dollars at least in excess value off him over the next three, four, or five years. Yeah, you know what I mean. Oh yeah. Um, if he becomes a star, it's going to be a hundred million dollars. I mean, I'm not I'm not trying to be hyperbolic. I promise you, but that's the nature of the arbitration system, and especially pre-arb, like, like he still is. He wouldn't get to be even in a guy making ten million or more until twenty seven. Like that's three years of cheap, cheap, cheap production. Whereas it again, if it works out, and I think Alex is pretty. Um, I'm not, I'm not sure what his actual quotes have been. I've read stuff about it that I'm not processing right now. But he was open about this. Like, look, it's uh, it's kind of a bet on his upside, but I think it's a bet on his upside that also has at least a reasonable projection of being solid enough where if it doesn't work out, quote unquote, is he going to murder you this year? I, I, I kind of don't think oh, so. No. I think he'll be fine. Um, and if he's not, you go get a left fielder that costs $5 million and plug right. a hole. You, you trade for Adam Duvall at the trade. Yeah. <laughs> oh or, my gosh. Yes, uh, please go ahead and do that now. Actually, go ahead. Please trade for Adam Duvall. Yeah. You're, you're man. Um, you know, a point, somebody mentioned this to me and it's kind of stuck in my mind with the bar for left field. Okay. It's so solo. Eddie Rosario last season, primary left fielder on a team that won 103 games, set a million records offensively, best offense in franchise history, go down the line. Eddie Rosario played about 80% of the Braves' games last year, and his war was 1.4, okay? And we know who Eddie Rosario is. We, we watch the games. Yes. We, uh, you know, we, we know Eddie. We know his production, his hot, his cold, his defense, all of that. Uh, Jared Kelnick did not appear in nearly as many games as Eddie Rosario did, and his war last season was 1.3. Which is in terms the, of value, the same. was <laughs> virtually the same player and did it on, in terms of war. And I know we could have a whole conversation about war and it's it's not a perfect metric and blah, blah, blah. But over 105 games and 400 plate appearances, Kelnick was a 1.3 war player. So he was virtually Eddie Rosario with just a handful of fewer games played. So I guess this is my way of saying that the Braves are not trading for Kelnick to be the savior of the franchise, to be the cleanup hitter in the lineup. I mean, he's going to hit eighth, I think, most nights. Yeah. And maybe he has room to go up higher if he's mashing. Um, but, you know, this is for many, many reasons. I think we've really grown to like this trade because the stakes are fairly low where he's going to be hitting and what he's going to be asked to do. And if he does become a star or even just a really good outfielder, I mean, you talk about adding that to the Braves' lineup and the, just the organization as a whole. And I think around the rest of the league, people are going to laugh because it is very on brand for the Braves to acquire a player like Kelnick. And if he turns into the star that so many people thought he was going to be with the Mets and then the Mariners, I mean, it would be very on brand for the Atlanta Braves to uh, unlock everything and get a really good player out of this deal. It really would be. And one more time on the big picture top of this sort of the whole show so far is that the Braves are using their present day resources and the fact that they've been printing so much money and they have so much extra capital right now. And instead of giving it to a high profile guy, which they still could, um, they're investing, kind of reinvesting it here in someone like Kelnick to where, yeah, again, it might not work out, but the downside risk is minimal. Um because they, like you said before, they didn't trade a ton of like high profile, not only capital for Jared Kelnick. 
and you get a bet on, I'm not saying he's a prospect anymore because he's not, but you kind of get, it's kind of like if you were elevating a prospect from your system right now with Jared Kelnick. It's not exactly the same, but you know, Vaughn Grissom has never been the level of prospect of, that Jared Kelnick was. He was a good prospect for sure, but he was never the level of top five, top 10 prospect in baseball that Jared Kelnick was. And they are roughly the same age. So it's like, it's almost like if you gave Vaughn the job in left field, something like, or, or, or I guess or the equivalent of Vaughn, like one of your top two prospects in your system and just said, Hey, you know what? You're the left fielder this year. That's kind of what you're doing with Jared Kelnick, except he's already kind of proven more at the big league level. And he's still prospect age. Like he's 24 years old right now. Like that's, that's a guy that could be a debuting prospect and he has more, time in that so not a perfect yeah. analogy but it really is kind of like you're just like paying for a prospect even though he's kind of already been there for sure and i think when players as hyped up and as well known as kelnick make their debuts it's easy to forget i believe he was 21 years old when he made his, his major league debut maybe 22 that is so young over the course of a position player in that trajectory generally your prime is going to be ages 25 to 30 so yes, he's been around. He is. There's a reason that he's been traded two times. It's because to date he has not put it all together. And we can probably laugh at the Mets for uh, trading a, a player like that for a reliever and Robinson Cano, who basically uh, never did made an impact for New York. And then Edwin Diaz has been good. Don't get me wrong. But uh, yeah, I mean, all in on the deal. I'm excited to watch Kelnick. Uh, he had an interesting interview with the media, I believe, this past week. Um, there were some clips and quotes going around. So, um, you know, I think all good vibes. You'll see how it goes. I'm excited to see what um, Kevin Seitzer, who was the Baseball America Coach of the Year. We should quickly mention that out. Give a I mean, Seitz a wh- quick why shout not, out. Why, why not, considering the offense this last yes. year? So, yeah, well yeah, deserved. Me up. Uh, oh, yeah. by the way, I just found this. So speaking of just kind of how young Jared Kelnick still is, relatively speaking, he is he is only older than one guy last year that had a full season at the big level on, on the bridge roster. And that's Michael Harris. He's older, he's older than Michael Harris. He's also older than Mon Grissom, uh, who was kind of on the team for a little while. And he's older than Smith Shaver, who made six starts. He is younger than Bryce Elder. He is younger than Strider. He's younger than guys like Schuster and Dodd and Darius Vines and Brayden Shoemake, who were all considered to be prospects. He's younger than those guys. So like, he's not 19. But he is a prospect in terms of age. Yeah, still he is notable to me. So. Yeah, very. Exciting. By the way, while we're here, Ronald Acuna is still really young, man. Ronald Acuna, we'll come back to him later on. He's twenty five years old still for one more day. In fact, we're recording this podcast tomorrow is Ronnie's birthday. He'll be twenty six. Hey. Happy uh, birthday, shout, Ronald! Shouts to Ronnie. Okay, um, before we get out of here, Scott, we have to. Do you want to talk about David Fletcher? David Fletcher, no, a whole lot to say there. Um, there's a little bit of a weird thing this week where the Braves outrighted him to Gwinnett. But uh, speaking of that text chain that we talked about before, it seems like everybody had the same idea that essentially he's still supposed to be the utility guy. According to what was leaked to the beat guys, they were kind of just procedurally opening up some flexibility because he had, because he had an option essentially was what it comes down to, or not, I guess not, not an option, but the Braves were essentially giving other teams a chance to just claim David Fletcher because he's overpaid. And if someone took him great. 
And if not, there was no real downside. Is, is that kind of your read on what, why they did that? Because it seems like they're still yeah. planning for him to be on the, on the team. Yeah, by all accounts, David Fletcher will be the team's utility guy. He is owed some decent money next year. Which is why uh, he wasn't claimed. <laughs> right. Yeah. If you, and just yeah. for background, if you if a team claims a player on waivers, you are responsible for his full salary. Um, if they get through waivers, then you know the Braves then have the option to send him to Gwinnett. By all accounts, based on the uh, yeah, based on the group chat, David Fletcher is going to be the team's roving utility guy. He is your typical utility infielder. He can probably even stand in left field or right field in an emergency. He has no power at all. Like like six, 16 home runs, one yeah. six, 16 <laughs> homers in two thousand one hundred and eighty plate appearances. That is essentially Nicky Lopez level power um yeah and by the way just like just like nikki he had one year where he hit uh in 2020 he didn't he get mvp votes one year like some hilarious i like, believe down, so down ballot and, mvp votes and he um, got paid good for him man you turn yeah he's making decent good, money seven million yeah. or so a year right now or whatever it is so like dave fletcher is fine like he's on this team like okay the way that i would describe this he's better than adrianza <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he's that is the a low the, bar, but yeah. But you, but like the Braves always seem to have like a guy like Adrianza. I'm not trying to pick on on Adrianza, but someone like that kicking around the team who's like kind of on the roster and never plays. Fletcher's better than that. Um, I think that I'd rather have Nicky Lopez personally. Um, but they had to trade Nicky to make the whole other things happen. So, um, he is essentially going to be in the Nicky Lopez role. It's just that he's not quite as good of a defender as Nicky Lopez. But he has some good numbers in his past defensively. He is versatile, like you said. He actually played a little bit outfield for the Angels. I'm looking at the numbers right now, um, mostly earlier in his career. But uh, he played, what, 150 or so innings of left field in 2019. Like, he can do that. And um, going back to the DH conversation, he never has to hit unless somebody goes down. Like, if, if you get an Aussie injury, then sure, he can play, he can play second base or whatever. Um, if you saw Vaughn, you can play him there, him there too. But um, every team can kind of use this kind of player he is making more money than a guy that usually has the skill set makes but um going back to the conversation the Braves can't afford it so sure yes ideally we talk about David Fletcher very very little yes. over the next year um let's hope everybody's healthy but even if you know say somebody tweaks something and they have to hit the IL for 2 weeks if David Fletcher is your second baseman for 15 games it's and batting ninth, he's not he's not going to crush you there. Um, you can you know, bat with, with bat, bat ninth every day and catch the ball. Catch the ball, yes. Catch the ball. Don't lose the game for the team, right? He might not win the game for the Braves, but don't lose the game. Um, yeah, I would be surprised if the Braves are able to move Fletcher. And really, I mean, unless they want to make Von Grissom the utility infielder who's really not going to play very much which they don't they, they do need <laughs> no they don't uh they do need a david fletcher nikki lopez type on yes. the roster because anybody can get hurt anybody can use a breather hot sunday afternoon a guy's struggling give him the afternoon off i know it's taboo in the clubhouse but uh <laughs> you you need a david fletcher type on your 26-man roster and sure he's making a little too much money but at the end of the day it's it's not a um, it's not going to sway the needle one way or the other. No, that's a good point. They, they could they could sign someone to do this role for less, um, admittedly, but that was they had to take him on for other reasons. And here he is. He's a respected player, and he's fine. Last thing, Scott, before we get out of here, we have to discuss 
these zips projections because I have a few notes on this. So if you don't know what this is, uh, Dan Zimborski, who's actually a friend of Battery Power, great guy over at Fangraphs, used to be ESPN, et cetera, created these zips projections. They're probably the most respected and most, I don't know, chronicled projection system of players. And he did the whole write-up. I encourage folks to read the entire thing. And there's lots of numbers in that at Fangraphs.com. But um, I will say, if you like the Atlanta Braves, and I would assume yeah. you do if you're listening to the show, especially like in, in, in minute, Braves, minute 46 of the show as well, whatever it is. So yeah, that's right. Um, if you like the Braves, you will like what Dan has to write about the Braves on FanGraphs because it is a glowing review of this roster. Yes, for sure. Like he he suggested a win projection over 100. He said that might come down still, but it was quote exceedingly rare for Zips to be this high on a team. Um, he actually stood on our particular corner of the internet. With this quote, I'm going to read to you, Scott. It's pretty on brand for us. Quote, unfortunately for the Braves, being a very dangerous team only gives you a chance about 20% of winning the World Series, baseball being baseball. End quote. Sounds familiar to me, Scott. He, uh, maybe Dan listens to us. I no. think Dan does listen to the podcast. No, um, he's just speaking the truth. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, the crazy thing that I want to mention now, and again, read the whole thing, is the Acuna stuff. So... For one, speaking of how good the Braves are, Dan wrote that you could lop Acuna off the top and it would still be one of the best teams in baseball, which is obviously a credit to the team. And of course, they famously won the World World Series with with Ronnie Hurt. But this one is the one for me. Quote, this is about Ronald Acuna. Quote, Zips now has him finishing with a mean, which means average, career projection in excess of 650 home runs with nearly... 600 stolen bases and more than 3,000 hits. So I'll stop there, Scott, and just say that is his average career projection. And if that were to happen, that's just, by the way, that, that's just the, that's the middle. That's the, that's the mean, which means there are projections above this. But if that happened, he would be an inner circle Hall of Famer with just those numbers. Oh, he, he'd be a top 10 baseball player to ever walk the planet. If Correct. he gets to that kind of, and project. that is his current projection, like average projection, according to zips. So that's absolutely absurd. Uh, some more here for your uh, listening pleasure. He has the highest projection of any player in the league this year, which is more normal. That's not a surprise. He was the best player in the league this year, his 20th percentile war projections. So a very pessimistic projection is 5.4 wins this year. <laughs> That's a that's a superstar. That's his 20th percentile outcome for this year. You ready for one more, Scott? I have one more. Um, I am ready. I'm actually I'm looking up. So again, 20th percentile outcome would be a 5.4 war. Just for yes. reference, just for reference, there were 13 position players in baseball last year who had a 5.4 war or better. 13. And that would be other than an injury, that would be like a fairly disappointing year. If he oh, that, only was that, that's points. what he's saying. I mean, 20th percentile yeah. is like, yeah, short of injury, uh, not as bad as you could be for Ronnie, but like very low on the on the list. And that, that would be a unbelievable. Like, yes, this dude is a cyborg. He is so, so, so Juan Soto, just to give another reference point, Juan Soto last year is a superstar, obviously. Juan Soto had 5.5 in rest last year. So essentially, that's yeah. a disappointing year for Ronnie in a little better than Austin Riley, who yeah, is who's also pretty very good. I think has established himself as a top two third baseman, if not the best third baseman in the sport. Yeah, he's a star. No question about that. Uh, the last one on the absurd Acuna list, and there are more if you want to dig into the piece. Um, his top two 
comparisons for players are number one, Frank Robinson, who is a inner circle hall of famer. Number two, Willie Mays, who's a top five player of all time, probably. Oh yeah. Uh, so pretty good company to be in. Obviously there is always uncertainty with projections. Even Dan would acknowledge that. But part of the scary thing here is dating back to the mean projection before is that that means there are projection, like a lot of outcomes that are better than what he's listed, which is just kind of scary. And, you know, you, you don't want to jinx anything. Ronnie just won the Hank Aaron award uh, two days ago. Like it was and earned it. Uh, he was the best player in the world this year. And uh, no reason to believe that he won't be being again. Like most guys don't just continue to be the best player in the world for more than a couple years. You know, Mike Trout was the best player in the world for what, five years or so. And that was like a very, yeah. very rare thing. Most guys can only do it for a year or two. And then they'll stay on that list. Like they'll be in the top five, but it's like rare that like one guy is like the best player for that many years in a row. So hopefully Ronnie can still do that again, but he's got one under his belt now and uh projection number two coming up. Yeah. And I think what's crazy about Ronald, you know, if you look at some of his underlying metrics, some of the more predictive stats. So, you know, based on how hard Ronald hit the ball, it's crazy to say this, but based on how Ronald hit the baseball last year, he was actually a little unlucky with his traditional stats, like how he actually performed, what he got credit for. So there's a world where he is even better next year. And would it surprise anyone? Honestly, no. It wouldn't surprise me. Um, I mean, a Zips, which Brad said off the top, is a very reputable projection system. You know, projection models by nature are supposed to be a little conservative, yep. especially in a sport like baseball, which has high variance year over year. There are injuries. There are bad luck. Right? The, the, these projection models are not perfect scenario by any means, but a projection of upwards of seven war is just crazy stuff. And, and, you know, Brad and I were, were probably nerds with the, uh, with the stats and the data, but uh, just a special, special player. And uh, I think we all enjoy watching him take the field every single night. Yeah. One of the reasons I brought up the, uh, the player comparisons is because they're less nerdy. You could just say Frank Robinson and Willie Mays. <laughs> that kind of tells you exactly what you're looking for. Uh, so yeah, Ryan is really good. No surprise there. A couple of notes here. The entire opening day bullpen, like literally every single guy projected to be in the bullpen on opening day is above average, according to Zips. Not a small thing. Like when your eighth or ninth relievers are above average relievers, that is an acceptable spot to be in. So obviously they're volatile, as we always talk about, but depth has been a focus for the Braves in the bullpen, and that's a spot. And one more thing, speaking of Ronaldo Lopez, we referenced earlier, not not a surprise, but they're projecting him at about a 4.2 ERA as a starter, which is actually useful. Like that's a fifth starter kind of type, which we talked about him being him kind of being if he's in that role. But as a reliever, they have him for a 3.10 ERA, so more than a run better as a reliever than as a starter. Again, not a surprise, kind of what he's been in his career, but kind of just like part of the calculus for the Braves is like if they don't do anything else in the next couple of months in the rotation, which I'm sure we'll talk about again on our next show or two or three or four. Um, if they don't do anything else, he might start, but if they get another starter, he's a heck of a reliever. And that is uh, helpful too. Yeah. in a versatile arm, which is really valuable. Bulk guy, uh, long man, fifth starter, whatever you want to, whatever you whatever, sort of want him to be. Yes. In, in no way is Ronaldo Lopez, a similar pitcher to Colin McHugh, 
But I think the Braves could employ him in a similar way where he can cover multiple innings. He could. The Braves never really used McHugh as an opener, but they could probably use Lopez as an opener for a few innings. They could use him late in games, which they used McHugh in, especially when he was going well. So I, I like that deal. There's some versatility in what Lopez can do. I know that the uh, the group chat went out and said, yeah, the Braves might look at him as a starter. I really don't think so. I could be wrong. I am inclined to believe he will be a uh, bullpen weapon of sorts. But uh, yeah, and and we've said this a couple of times, but if you did not see the article on fan graphs, I think it came out on Wednesday or Thursday. Worth checking out. Uh, it is glowing of the Braves. I think as of recording tonight, I think even though Atlanta has a semi hole in the rotation and uh, maybe a few other spots less or so, I think they're still projected like eight or nine wins more than the entire rest of the league. And I, I believe that includes the Dodgers adding both Shohei Otani and Tyler Glass now. So just a reminder of how special of a team this is. Of course, there are no guarantees. This is baseball. We could say it for 10 <laughs> years, right? The best team does not always win. The best team for six months is not always the team that hoists the championship trophy at the end. But you do everything you can to give yourself the best chance to win it all, and you see what happens in October. Yep, I continue to think that the best course of action with the incredibly randomized expanded playoffs is just to build the team most likely to make the playoffs and most likely to have home field advantage in the playoffs. And everything else after that is health and luck and variance and all that stuff. So we'll get into it more, I'm sure, in the next couple of months, but that's where we are right now. Scott, this might be the last time you and I talk before Christmas, because it's December 17th right now. I don't know about you, unless there is a big news event on Christmas Eve, I'm not recording a podcast in our typical slot. So we're, we're talking, um, we're talking like Dylan sees Corbin Burns trade. It would have to be a very big acquisition to record on Christmas Eve. I'm yeah. not saying it's impossible. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll go solo because I am not married like you are. Um, your wife might kill me if I ask you to do a podcast on Christmas Eve. She but, might kill me too. That's correct. You know, two for uh, one. Anyway, all that said, Let's Thank you for that. being here, as always, my friend. We will have more content coming. We never stop. Uh, I think if people listen to the show regularly, they will already know that. We have been churning out you know, three, four episodes a week still in the winter. We will have between like 20, like 15, 20 episodes a month. It's like it's still very busy, um, but I appreciate talking to you always, my friend. Anything to plug at the end of the podcast? I know uh, your Colts got a nice win yesterday. I was proud of you. Uh, individually for all the work you did to get them get them that victory on Saturday. But what's yeah, going baby. on in your world? Anything else to plug? Um, anything else to plug? I have a couple of articles coming out this week on batterypower.com. So be sure to check out the site. Um, and just a big thank you as we wrap up. We're almost at year's end. A big yep. thank you to everybody who has checked out the show this year. Um, we really do appreciate it. Hearing from you guys and gals. I mean, the support is awesome. And um, happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. If you're traveling, travel safe. Be sure to download your Battery Power podcasts in <laughs> advance right. for those long, long plane rides or drives across the country. And who knows, Brad, with uh, this podcast being what it is, maybe I'll talk to you in another hour for a, uh, a Braves transaction. But if not, have a uh, Merry Christmas, and I'm sure we'll be back soon. Well said, my friend. And yeah, we might spring into action if we need to. And obviously, it may not be us. 
individually. Uh, I have been on without you. You've been on without me. We have Sean, we have Steven, we have Chris, we have other people that record podcasts with us. Um, I will occasionally call on the troops from elsewhere if we need to, and uh, we'll have more content coming. So please, please, please subscribe to the show anywhere you get your podcast. Like Scott said, go ahead and pre-download, auto-download actually. If you want to support the show, the best possible way to do that is to download and click around and multiple episodes and how do you want to sort of do that to support the show? That's the way to do it. Also, like Scott said as well, read the site, batterypower.com. Tell a friend about the podcast or a family member or whatever. I'm sure you'll be in a situation in the next couple of weeks with a family member that might be a Braves fan that hasn't found the podcast yet. Spread the word for us. It'd be very much appreciated. Thank you, Scott. Thank you for listening, everybody. And with all that said, see you next time.